Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Am I coming through okay? There we go. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And if, if all of us, I, I hope that you got a little bacon bouquet as you came in, right? Could you smell that from the parking lot? Wasn't that amazing? All the moms are like, hey, Mother's Day. Like, you, sh you should have thought of it. Sorry. And uh, welcome to all of you who are joining in online, wherever you may be, Oklahoma, North Carolina, anywhere. And you're probably wondering right now, where's my bacon? We thought of you, press pause and go to your front porch. <laughs> now, while they're not here, it's probably time for you to say, pastors shouldn't lie. <laughs> but, uh, just, we do love our dads. We appreciate the dads. Dads have a way of uh, taking things up a notch. In other words, dad can bring the fun. Uh, I just... Uh, there's a dad out in Belgium that I found on social media. This guy has elevated his father game to fire. He was amazing. His, uh, the mother of his kids went back to work, and he was a work-from-home kind of a guy, so he said, I'll keep the, the newborn, and then they had a second one. And mom being at work, away from home, was like, I need to know my little ones are okay. And he said, they're fine. She said, I need pictures to prove it. So he said, okay. He took pictures, but then he photoshopped his little ones into dangerous situations and sent them to her. Uh, we've got a few samples up here on the screen. You can just see a few examples there. My favorite is the one where he's got the kid grilling. And that's just awesome right there. Um, this guy's amazing. I can tell you after service, you can find many more examples like that. You know, how many of you would say you grew up in the pre-helmet era? where you did not ride in, a, in the back of a car with a seatbelt. You rode in the back window. You rode in the back of the truck. Okay, I'm, I'm not saying helmets are a bad idea, but I did grow up in that era, and it just changed things. Uh, we didn't need to Photoshop ourselves into the things we did, did we not? We just did things like, I have a picture here of some kids jumping off of a ramp, doing the evil Knievel over their friends. How many of you did something like that? We did. This is not me, but this. Now, the picture's up here still. Do you notice the adult in the background on the porch watching the whole thing happen and not trying to stop it. True story. He's probably smoking a cigarette, drinking a beer, and thinking, I'm going to, whatever happens is going to be great. It's going to be a good story. This is the, you know, I wish that we had iPhones back when we were kids to get pictures of this, because I really think our game was fire, until I saw a picture from the 1980s in London, where kids were piling mattresses outside of an apartment building and jumping from the second, third story window. We might have a picture. There we go. True story there too. We would pile uh, like blankets and pillows at the bottom of our stairs and jump, see how much air time we could. Did anybody do that either? Or is that just my family? Like some of you parents are hoping that your kids don't watch this sermon because there's ideas flowing through here. The things you, like, okay, let me just ask all of you on a scale of one to five, you can participate online. You feel free to do this as well. Number one being, like, what's your risk tolerance? Number one is like, oh, heck no, I'm not doing anything like that. Anything that's dangerous, I will not do it to five is I can't wait to get home to try, you know, the, the ramp with my bike. So stick your hand in the air. Is it one to five? What's your risk tolerance? I'm about a three or four. We have, some people are, you're like so risk averse, you don't even want to put your hand up right now. You're afraid that you're going to get called on or something. This is just my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. This is Brian. This is not Bible. In our risk-averse culture, I wonder what we miss out on. Because things aren't like what they used to be. Maybe that's for the better. Maybe it's not. But we do seem like we want to put a lot of bubble wrap around ourselves and our kids. And I wonder what we miss out on. I think that maybe we miss out on the opportunity to find out where our limits really are. I think we sometimes miss out on opportunities to be challenged so that we mature and grow when we do difficult things. 
And hey, we just miss out on fun things. Some of the best stories that you have involve somebody getting hurt or doing something dangerous or something that was ill. I'm not advising us to do anything dumb or unwise or foolish, but maybe for some of you, you ought to go home today. Don't do it now, but after church, go Google Art of Manliness, 23 Dangerous Things You Should Let Your Kids Do. Brett Mackay and his wife have written a great article there. There are things like a kid should know how to build a fire. A kid should know how to handle a knife without cutting themselves or what to do if they do cut themselves. So there you go. That's your Father's Day tip for today. And, and I'm saying all this just to invite you to think about a world where God has not bubble wrapped our world. And you know that because a lot of things that shouldn't happen do happen, but that kind of comes with free will and, and so much more. But here's the thing that I've just observed when I read the Bible and when I just reflect on my experience, and you probably feel the same way. God sometimes allows us to go into difficult, risky, dangerous situations. I would say there are times where you could make the case that God literally sends people into dangerous, risky situations. You know, and I would also add on to that, that if God does allow you to go into something, and even as the one who pushed you, and he was the impetus for you going into one of those situations, that he's with you, that he empowers you, and he enables you. So we've been looking in the book of Acts about how God just helps people level up, and and today we want to talk about how does God make people who are timid into people who are bold and willing to take risks, especially when God says, I want you to do this, because the safest place you could literally ever be is to be where God told you to go. It may be in the short term dangerous, but in the long term, man, what a great place to know I'm doing exactly what God wanted me to do. And we find this with the, the, apostles, the apostles of Jesus. These were the men who were closest to Jesus. He selected 12 of them who would be his witnesses, who would take his message out to the world. And if you want to find Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, let's just go ahead and get context here. Acts in the Bible, if you're newer to the Bible, feel free, first of all, to use the table of contents if you have a paper version of the Bible. And if you're using the online Bible app, if you look at that little QR code on the screen when we start looking at scriptures, it'll take, it'll open the Bible app on your phone and take you right there. So Acts is the history of how the church started on day one, about 2,000 years ago, on uh, Pentecost Sunday, which was two weeks ago. We just celebrated the anniversary. And how it grew and spread from Jerusalem and all the way out through the these 12 apostles. And in Acts chapter 1, we read this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, right before Jesus left the planet. This was 40 days after he had resurrected from the dead. Jesus said to his apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. First here in Jerusalem, then throughout Judea, up into Samaria, and on into the ends of the earth. Which sounds really odd, because when you look at those 12 apostles, I don't know that anyone would have looked at them in that moment and said, these guys are going to be bold witnesses for Jesus? Where were they just a month and a half before? Oh, I know. Go back to the Gospel of John. John was one of the 12. He told on himself, John twenty nineteen. That Sunday evening when Jesus had resurrected that morning, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders month and a half before, they're scared to death that they're going to be arrested and crucified like Jesus was. But now, 40 days later, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem, because power is coming, and it did. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, and power came. The Holy Spirit entered the house where they were. There was a sound of, like, a wind, and there were fire, and people started speaking in languages they'd never studied or knew before, and this enormous crowd of thousands was drawn. Peter steps forward, and he starts preaching what may have been the first sermon he ever preached, and the other apostles were sharing it as well, because there's thousands of people. And 3,000 people were baptized that day and that is the first day of the church 1,989 years ago and here we are today because they were witnesses they were bold they took the message of Christ and you and I owe a debt of gratitude to them and what happened? the Holy Spirit made them bold 
made them bold risk takers who would go out and share the good news of Jesus. And so these apostles shifted from timidly hiding to boldly sharing Jesus. The church grew, thousands of people. On that first day, 3,000 people got in the water and they were baptized. And everyone in Jerusalem loved them except the religious leaders who hated them. The ones who hated Jesus hated them too. They wanted to tamp out this Jesus movement. So now we are in Acts chapter three. What we're about to read here happened maybe months, weeks, months after this first day of the church. It's very new church, okay? So it says, uh, Peter and John, two of Jesus' apostles, went to the temple in Jerusalem one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Give me eye contact. So the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk, which would be an incredibly insensitive thing to say to a, a person with disabilities if you didn't have the power through God's Holy Spirit to make something happen, but he did. Verse seven, Peter took the lame man by the right hand, helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Verse nine, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God, and when they realized he's that lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And at this moment, there's again, this is like Pentecost Sunday all over again. Thousands of people are at the temple to pray that afternoon, three in the afternoon, and Peter has never saw a crowd that he didn't want to preach to. The man was a preacher. He was good, too, by the way. And he just launches into this sermon because everybody wants to know, how's this guy walking? Well, Peter says, I want to answer that for you. And he just preaches a powerful message saying, this is Jesus who did this. And he, and he tells the truth. Down in verse 15, Peter never pulled punches. He, was, he became a very bold preacher. He said to these people who were watching this happen, he said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. And then Peter just gets to the point. You all, what do you need to do? Verse 19, now you repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And Peter just kept preaching, and I won't go through the rest of his sermon. You can read it on your own time in Acts 3. It was a powerful miracle. It was a bold message, and no good deed goes unpunished. They're in the temple. This is where the religious leaders work. Word gets out very quickly that there's somebody preaching and there's a huge commotion. It's all about that Jesus guy we killed a few months ago. And look at chapter four, verse one. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the, some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there's a resurrection from the dead. So they arrested them. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But catch this, many of the people who heard their message believed it. And so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. Man, what a powerful sermon. What a powerful response. These are powerful people who are threatened by this. And so the very next day, here's what happened. Come on down to verse five. The next day, the council of all the rulers and the elders, the teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. Just pause here for a second. If you're a little bit familiar with the Bible, do those names sound familiar? 
You think to the night, Thursday night when Jesus was arrested and he was taken, first of all, to who for a trial? One of many illegal trials that happened Thursday night and Friday morning. Annas and Caiaphas. Same dudes who killed Jesus or handed him over to the Romans to kill him. And now Peter and John are standing in the same place that Jesus would have stood earlier. And they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? It's just, uh, they're just gonna find out real quick here. It's like a little uh, attorney principle. You'd never ask a question in court you don't know the answer to. Well, they're about to find out. So we're going down here to verse eight. Peter says, okay, you open the door. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? You really don't, but I'll tell you. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And man, they just laid it right out. They're standing in front of people who have shown an an ability to murder people for things like this. And they're just boldly saying, you want to know how we did this miracle? It wasn't us. It It was Jesus. You know, it wasn't the power of powerful, uh, positive thinking. He didn't put a little essence of peppermint oil on him and start walking around. It's, it's Jesus. The thing you don't want to hear is the thing, that we, we just got to tell the truth. We got to be his witnesses. And you might be thinking, or somebody back then might have been thinking, wow, Peter, <laughs> read the room. This isn't going to go over well with this group. Save that Jesus talk for your life group. Don't, don't trot that in court where you're, you know, there's going to be some consequences to this. But Peter does not care. Holy Spirit is making him bold. The man who was hiding behind locked doors a few months before, fearing for his life, doesn't fear for his life anymore. That's the kind of thing that happens when you've seen a guy get killed and see him alive again three days later. It kind of changes your perspective on reality and what's possible. And so this is exactly what's happened. Now look at verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the what? The boldness. Go ahead and say it again. When they saw the boldness. Man, these guys are bold, Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures, but they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. (laughs) But here's the irony. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber, and they conferred among themselves. This is going to be a little problem. Do you notice how the people who have all the power and all the authority are the ones who are the most afraid? Do you notice also, meanwhile, the people who have the, apparently the most to lose, who could maybe lose their life in this situation, are the ones who are bold and who are brave? As again, this is what the Holy Spirit does for you when you yield to him. You find yourself saying true things that don't want to be heard, and people don't want you to say it, but you need to say it, and you know it's the right thing to do. Go on down to verse 16. We get a little insight into their inner dialogue. What should we do with these men, they ask each other. We can't deny they performed miraculous sign. Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. Good luck with that. Um, Do you think that's going to go over really well with these guys? Verse 19. Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Uh Uh-uh. We cannot stop telling everything we have seen and heard. They're not going to. They're they're in a life-threatening situation, but look at it from their perspective. They watched these very same people kill their boss, and they watched God raise their boss back from the dead three days later. I'm going to go with Team Jesus. Like, what? You guys can kill me, but the Lord will bring me back to life. I, 
I'm going to be afraid of God, and I'm, I'm just not going to be afraid of you. I'm just going to listen to what he has to say. Thank you very much. I'm going to be respectful. I'm not going to be, you know, obnoxious, but I have to tell the truth. I'm not going to go along and be coerced or to be threatened into being quiet just because y- you think I'm bad for business. There's just an amazing thing here when you realize what, what was going on here. And, and thankfully, they were willing to continue to speak the message because if they had just, co, you know, just gone along to get along, just the message would have died out right there. And we wouldn't be here right now sharing this time. But they were bold and they were brave. Look how it ends up here. This is down in verse uh, 21, verse 22. The council then threatened them further, <laughs> but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Everyone knew what was happening here. It was clearly the work of God, and the Holy Spirit made them so bold to say, not only could we offer this man healing, but we can share that it was through Jesus. And to say to people who maybe didn't want to hear it, you need to repent. You need to get your life right before God. You need to say yes to him and quit running your life your own way. There's going to come a day when you're going to be so sorry that you insisted on having your own way. And I just look at that and I think the thing that God did 2,000 years ago for those apostles and for those Christians, he wants to do for us as well. The Holy Spirit has never left the planet. And I just wonder if maybe the Holy Spirit wants to make you bolder and uh, more of a risk taker than you ever maybe thought you needed to be. And as I think about what does that look like, I just wonder for some of you, what would it look like to be bolder and more of a risk taker in, in terms of your family? Some of you... Uh, and I, I'm talking maybe to dads right now, but let's just say if you're a spiritual leader in your home, are you leading? Are you calling on your family? To, let me give you a perfect example of this and, and maybe how you can just be bolder in your family. Do you pray for your meals? You don't have to answer out loud, but how about this? You go out to lunch. If you're a dad, if, as the Lord intended, you get to eat some smoked meat and barbecue. Um, so when you get that meal today, why don't you just whoever is the spiritual leader in your home, dad, whatever, say, we're going to pray for this meal. And if your family looks at you like you just said, aliens are real or whatever, I don't know, just say, no, we're going to do this. And you can just say, Pastor Brian said to do it. Just, and let me give you real easy, just say, Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for our family. Amen. And you're going to be thinking, well, everybody in the restaurant is going to look at me. No, they're not. And if they do, they're going to be like, wow, that's cool. And whether you're at home, whether you're at a restaurant, just lead out in your family and be bolder. An easy way to lead your family is to pray out loud, to just say a few things to God. And you don't have to make it sound fancy. God doesn't, I mean, God understands fancy talk, but he also just understands when we just talk like this, you should talk to your heavenly father like you talk to your dad. And just say some words of prayer, of gratitude, thankfulness. Ask him for what you need. Lead out. How about this one? In your home, how about just saying on Saturday night, okay, fam, we're going to church tomorrow. Make Sunday morning a Saturday night decision. Just set your alarm. We're going to be there. Just, and then, you know, you know you're going to get a little pushback maybe. Just, okay, we're just doing this. This is what we're doing. Be bold in your family. Maybe there's some other ways that you need just to step forward and say, I'm going to lead out. I'm going to start setting a direction. I'm going to pull us towards God. And maybe it's going to feel uncomfortable to you. Maybe it's something you don't feel wired to do or something that's maybe a new thing for you. Believe me, this is what God made you to do, and God will help you do it. God loves to empower people who are willing to take chances and do bold things for him. And while you're thinking about your family, 
family, maybe you ought to think about some of your other relationships because you work with people who need somebody to be a little bit bold for Jesus. You probably live in a neighborhood where not everybody believes in him. You may need, maybe need to be thinking about people you go to school with and sometimes conversations turn towards religious things and you just want to kind of keep your mouth shut so you don't get in trouble or because you don't want to argue. Maybe you need to be a little bit bolder there and just talk about your faith or, or maybe it's just as simple as you know in some of your relationships you see things and it's not like you're smarter or better than them but you see some things that are about to go over the cliff or off the rails but you don't want to say anything because you just want to keep the peace you just want to get through the the holidays without an argument this time you, you know maybe this is the thing that the lord is calling on you to be bold in is to speak up with humility with respect we're not gonna be jerks for jesus but maybe there are some times where you're the one and you're the voice that God says, and you need to wait and pray because there are times when you can do damage if it's not time to talk, but when the Holy Spirit pushes you and nudges you and says it's time to say something, you need to say it. And you'll be the voice that God is speaking through you. Again, it's not about you being better. Let's be humble. Let's go in knowing, like, I'm guilty of lots of things too. I sometimes miss things. I have my own blind spots, so I need somebody to help me with this, but I see something in you that is not good. I... I hear the way you talk about your spouse, and I just want you to know that that's not healthy for your relationship. You know, if you gave more encouragement and less cut downs, um, I, maybe it's for a friend, and you just really have to say, I see what you're doing, and the way you're talking to that person who's not your spouse is the great way to flush your whole relationship down the toilet. I can just do the math on where you're headed, and you made a promise to this person, and you said till death do us part, and the way you're talking to that other person is going to intersect in a way that is not godly, and I'm using very vague language, but you might need to be very blunt with somebody and just say, look, you need to stop talking to that person like you would talk to your spouse. This isn't going, or maybe things have already gone too far and you need to confront a friend and say, you need to dial that back and you need to repent and you need to get things worked out and reconcile because this is just not right. Friends confront one another with love. And again, sometimes you may need to share the Bible, but the Bible is not meant to bludgeon people over the head. It's truth. And you say, well, the Bible's a sword, right? Well, yeah, but it's meant to be used with each other like a surgeon would use a scalpel in terms of healing. And uh, it's meant to contradict the lies that Satan tells. So we find the truth here. Maybe you need to be bolder in sharing the truth. And, and maybe on the other side, you need to be humble and bold enough to accept it when somebody comes to you and shares something. Maybe it was the hardest thing they ever did to come to you and share something with you, and you just want to dismiss it immediately. Maybe boldness for you looks like listening to something that somebody tells you because they really do care about you. Even if they don't care about you, if it's, there's something true in there, you can still benefit from that. What would it look like, again, if you were just bold with sharing your faith? Peter, the one who preached that sermon and then spoke so boldly to those religious leaders, later in his life, he wrote a letter to some people probably who were new Christians. It's in your Bible. It's called 1 Peter. And listen to how he advised Christians to be bold in their faith later in his life. This is 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. He said, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer— Always be ready to explain it. Which, I'm going to pause here on the scripture just for a second. You're thinking, oh Lord, please no. Like, let them ask Pastor Brian, let them ask Pastor Jeff or Truman, Pastor Truman. Let them ask one of our elders in our church. Let them ask their youth sponsor. They're good at this. Just don't let them ask me, Lord. Look, I don't notice any asterisk in my Bible that says that sharing the good news of Jesus is only for people who are church leaders. 
sharing the good news of Jesus is all of our jobs. And all of you have people in your lives who will hear it best from you. It's worthy of you thinking about how would I share what Jesus has done for me in 30 seconds or less? What was my life before I met Jesus like? What changes has he made in my life? What things do, what, what one scripture could I share to talk about why I have so much hope in my future? In fact, that's what Peter says. We go back to this verse. He said, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way and keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed of what they see, what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. People want to know why you believe what you believe. That doesn't mean like you have to convince them and win them to Christ and baptize them right in that conversation, but... Can you at least tell why you are a Christian? Can you tell what you did to become a follower of Jesus? Can you share how you confessed uh, Jesus is my Lord and that means I'm gonna learn in every way possible to do what he taught and to follow his example to the best of my ability and the Holy Spirit's gonna help me do it? Maybe you need to be a little bit bolder in sharing your faith and maybe... I know I asked you a couple of weeks ago to pray about just, Lord, where do I need to speak up? Is there someone who needs to hear your message from me? And I said, maybe you'd find yourself. I don't, I really don't want to see you in Target parking lot screaming to everyone preaching. That's not generally in our culture what we do, but you might find yourself having a conversation in the most interesting places at a camp spot, driving down the road to your next work appointment, over a meal at lunch with uh, a friend. Things come up at the most strange times maybe which is why Peter just says always be ready just have thought about it before have a verse in mind here's another thing that that does for you the more you reflect on how would I say it to someone else what that does is it cements in your mind what God has done for you you're reflecting on it yourself it just deepens your sense of I'm okay God has done some things in my life sometimes it's really hard isn't it to feel like like you just feel like here's where I started when I became a Christian and here's where I still am and that's not true at all and I think if you reflect on that you'll realize the Lord has brought you through some stuff and that could be helpful to some other people and maybe the time to speak about it is now and I know as a church together, it's not just, you know, each one of us individually. We work together as a church to help the message of Jesus get out there. So if you bring a friend to church, we're all together going to work together to make sure your friend feels like a, a welcomed guest and that this is a place where that they belong and a place where they can feel like, I can put some roots down here and grow and, and I can find Jesus here too. Because our mission here is to help people become uh, disciples of Jesus and then to mentor them in, in his ways and then to turn around and say, let's mobilize. Let's figure out how we can serve each other in love and how we can continue to help other people come to know Jesus. We want people to get connected to God and to each other through Jesus. And so you bring them in and we'll do that together as well. We'll help them find Jesus. There's a temptation among churches, and I get it. There's like, uh, you know, Brian, maybe I ought to know more before I get bold and share everything. I don't know. I think you should just start where you're at, and God will bring you the person who needs your level of experience. Don't worry about that. Let the Holy Spirit figure that one out. He's really good at it. You might think, well, Brian, shouldn't our church get deeper before we get wider? And I don't know who first said this, but I love this image. Trees don't work that way. And churches shouldn't either. Tree, the roots go out, the branches go out. It's a both and. I don't think it has to be an either or. And you might say, well, you know, we, we kind of maybe don't want to be obnoxious and, you know, everybody think that we're just one of those judgmental Christians. Look, I know that a lot of times Christians deserve the title of judgmental, but I don't think that's what we're doing here. We're just sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And there will come a point where you can be the, the most nice, winsome, caring person in the world, and people will still hate you just because they hate Jesus. And I'm sad to see it. It may come to that point in the United States. It actually already exists in many places in the world. There's places where you just literally are not supposed to talk about Jesus. 
or there's places where people don't want you to, to the, like our friends down in Haiti at Living Water Christian Mission. Man, you just don't know some of the stuff with voodoo and just other people, the places where they've planted churches. This is our sister congregations where people get rocks thrown at them, equipment gets stolen, lawsuits get thrown at them, there's violence, there's threats of violence. One of our buses was going out to the village of Highland full of teachers and that bus was hijacked and they used it to block the road as a barricade and fortunately we were able to get all the teachers back out of that but you just think in a place like Haiti they continue to share the good news of Jesus in spite of opposition and they are so bold and I'm so proud of them and you know what the irony of that is the more Satan tries to persecute the church the more the church grows because the darker things get the lighter the bright shines the light shines and you are that light you're the one that the Holy Spirit wants to use but you 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 won't be that if you won't let him allow you to be bold, to take a risk, to start the conversation. I'm just wondering if maybe the Holy Spirit's been pressing on some of you today and there's just something like in your heart, in your mind, there's a little thing nudging you. I don't know what it is, but maybe you do. And you know, like, think, I think this is God telling me I should do something today. Maybe it's a conversation you should have. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's just something that you need to do with Jesus himself. Maybe like the Holy Spirit's knocking at the door and you've been ignoring God, but you're here. I'm glad that you are. Lean into that. The best thing you'll ever do is listen to I think some of us need to get a little bit louder. I think some of us need to be a little bit, maybe all of us need to be a little bit bolder and willing to share what we know and what we've experienced and just telling the truth. This is my story. And you can't argue with my story because it is what it is. This is what God's done for me. I don't know, maybe some of you, the boldest thing you can do today is just say, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I want to get in the water, in the baptistry. I want to be immersed and I want to call on Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, to forgive my sins, to lead my life and just let everybody know I'm all in with Jesus. And we're more than happy to help you do that today. I don't know where it is, but I'm convinced that God wants every single one of you and me to level up somewhere. You ready to be bold? Let me pray for us. And you pray for yourself even as I pray. Father, I'm so thankful through Jesus that you are just changing my life. You're changing our lives. You're changing this world. And I, uh, I'm so thankful for these apostles. And I can't wait to meet them. Just the, They were so willing to put their lives at risk just to tell the truth, to get the good news out there, to, to say that, God, you are for us, not against us. And that through Jesus, everything can and will be changed and fixed. Uh, I pray for now, this, all of us, to have the courage to step forward and do what it is you're putting on our hearts. That we would just simply trust you in faith and go forward. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you were willing to do what you did to die for us, that you were bold, that you never held back, that God, as our Father, that you also were bold and you took on the responsibility of fixing what we broke. So we just hold ourselves before you and we trust you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.